today, I'm excited. We are three weeks away from Pentecost Sunday, and the Lord has been dealing with me for, for several weeks now on a series that we are starting today entitled Pentecost Sunday, and I'm so excited about this series. And so before we get started, uh, I have a short video for you to watch. Miss Jennifer, you'll do that. Amen. There we go. I'm so excited. I got a new preaching Bible a few weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and for those of you who've never preached before, you don't really understand this. But um, whenever you're preaching and you're carrying around a Bible for an hour and a half, your, your arm gets tired. And, uh, and so I was so excited. But, it's, but I found that it's like, um, you know, whenever you have a Bible, how many of you have had a Bible for like 10 years or more? And uh, it's like when you use it. When you use it, it's almost like you don't even have to look at where you're turning. You just know about, if you're going to the book of Acts, you just about know what it feels like to be in the book of Acts. And uh, I'm still breaking mine in like a new pair of shoes. And uh, so anyways, but I am very glad to have a small Bible that my bicep won't be tired by the time we get out of service. Today we are going to start our series, um, People of Pentecost, with a message entitled, Worship, the Heart of Worship. Um, I want us as a church and as a people to always be in a place where our heart is to worship the Lord. Where every time we come together as a family of faith, we have set our minds and set our hearts to seeking the Lord. Because how many knows if you show up to church and Jesus ain't there, then you just kind of went to a social club and you may have wasted your time. Is that true? And so today, our scripture comes out of Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I have two scriptures today that I'm going to share with you. The second will come out of Luke chapter 7. And so if you want to turn to one and put your thumb on the other, Acts 1, 4 through 5 says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, talking about Jesus, this is after the resurrection, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. You know, some would say today that the Islamic church is the largest growing faith in America. But do you know statistics actually say that it is spirit-filled churches that is the fastest growing church in the world today? 
Because how many knows that once you have a real experience with God, there is nothing else like it. And here at our church, we believe that God will reach down from heaven through his Holy Spirit and touch you where you are. Do you believe that today? I believe we serve a God that is very present in our time of need. And I don't just mean present in my ideas as in, well, I know God's here with me, but I don't feel. No, I believe that God reaches down from heaven and enters and walks into your life. And that's why the Pentecostal church is growing and will not stop growing because we serve a living God who is living in our services. And in Luke, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it's the story of the woman, the sinful woman, as, as the Bible says, who washed Jesus' feet. The Bible says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I don't know that there is a better example of worship in the entire Bible. When I think about this story and I think about this lady, and I encourage you to go to Luke chapter 7, read it it's in its, its entirety, because you see this woman who was dirty. Because how many knows that because of the way Christians have lived in the last 50 or 60 years, people feel like they've got to be clean before they come to church. They feel like in order for Jesus to love them, they have to dot the I's and cross the T's, and they've got to have everything in order. But what I love about this story is Jesus received her worship as she was. Jesus is not waiting on you to be perfected before he will receive your worship. What Jesus is looking for are hungry hearts. Our God is just looking for someone who's willing to spend the energy and the time and investment to seek after him. And so this lady, she comes into a room full of Pharisees and religious people. And she pours out the most costly item that she has. In fact, the Bible says, and some say that it was a year's wages for this perfume. And she poured it out. How many people know your worship is valuable to the Lord? She poured it out. And as she poured it out, the Pharisees, they began to talk about Jesus began to talk about her. First of all, why, why is he letting her touch his feet? Why is he letting her so close to him? Why? And, and Jesus responded. He said, well, and this is going to set the tone for our message today. He said, yeah, she may have issues, but she knew how to ser- seek after me. Paraphrasing, but he said, yeah, she's a sinner. She's got issues in her life. But you know what? When I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't offer me no biscuits. You didn't offer me no sweet tea. You just came in and started questioning me about everything that you don't believe about me. I think that's how we come and worship sometimes. We expect Jesus to come in and do something miraculous whenever we're not even willing to offer him some sweet tea. We're not even willing to offer him just a hand raise of appreciation. And so today we're going to talk about the heart of worship. And so obviously we're a part, or some of you may not even know, we're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in speaking in tongues. We believe that God still reaches down and heals people. We believe in the laying on of hands. And, And all those are good things. But Pentecostals have gotten a bad rap because there's some crazy things that happen in Pentecostal churches. Is that true? 
Come on now. Some of y'all been Pentecostal for a lot longer than I have. And in the 10 years, I've seen some crazy stuff. I saw, I tell you what's funny is whenever people act like they're Pentecostal and the Spirit got a hold of them and they don't, but then they run into something. <laughs> Real talk, bro. I'm not going to go into any stories because some of y'all might know them, but I just, just know that I know and other people know too. But anyways, there's some crazy things that happen in church. In fact, there's one that I want to show you. Now, before I, I have to preface this video, because some people may get offended, and I don't mean to offend, but I think there are some things we need to look at objectively. And so look at this video with an open mind if you are old school Pentecostal. I love you. Let's watch this video real quick. Now I'm okay with what's about to happen to an extent. that song because apparently when he hits that note something happens and uh anyways and so so i, I want to be careful that i handle this because i know some people are already like oh you better not talk bad about people running the church i don't have a problem with people running the church if the lord gets a hold of you then and we're going to talk about it in a minute you respond in a way that worships the lord but i will tell you this if you ever feel the lord tell you to throw a jacket at me you better be sure <laughs> that the lord told me to Danielle can speak for herself, but don't be throwing no jackets at me, okay, unless the Lord said to do it. But anyways, and so, so we look at videos like that, and it's, it's funny in a way because, honestly, I, I believe, I don't believe they got a, I don't, I don't like to believe that anyone in that video or any other church service that we've been into, they got into worship and said, well, I just want to make a show. I think it comes out of a good heart, but I also think it kind of, things like that may actually give Pentecost a bad name. Because it makes us look crazy. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down, people thought those folks were drunk. And that tells me that they were walking funny, that they were talking funny, that the Holy Spirit had a hold of them. And so there is a level of the Holy Spirit touching you, and you look different. The Bible says that we are called to be a peculiar people. But there's a difference between responding to the Spirit of God and just trying to have people look at you. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. We want to establish some things about Pentecost, some, some things that, that are crazy that we've done. is like snake handling. They may have been in a snake handling service. All I got to say is I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm not saying it is. It, it is right. All I'm saying is that Jesus, whenever the devil said, hey, if you cast yourself down on the rock, God's going to catch you, he said, well, you shouldn't you know, test the Lord. And so as far as snake handling goes, I believe God calls us to handle snakes whenever we have to. But I am not going to put my hand in a jar of snakes. 
one of y'all bring a snake in here, I am leaving. I'm taking Brother Pete with me. We're going home. We're going to have church at home. Snake handling makes churches look crazy because I just don't know that we use it in the right context. Um, we talk about, and it makes me so mad when I hear preachers on TV telling me if I send them $1,000, they'll send me a, a, some anointing oil that's going to heal my arthritis or some, or some, some healing water that's going to make all my problems go away. It drives me crazy, and it gives the, the, the Pentecostal church a bad name because all these folks claim to be spirit-filled, but they're lying to you, so there's something. Anyway, just going to throw that out there. And, and, and another th- perception that Pentecostals have is that we put, we in the historically, not obviously now, because last week I had a six-inch long beard and, and today I don't have a suit on, um, but historically we, we seem to put more, um, a higher level of importance on our dress than our inward condition, in our inner condition. And the problem with that is people see it. We can dress a certain way, and we can dress conservative, and that's good. But if we have long hair and long skirts or whatever whatever you deem to be conservative, whatever that looks like to you, but we treat people badly when we go to restaurants, that is a problem. And it gives Pentecostals a bad name. In fact, I know some servers that whenever they see certain church groups come in, they try to see them in somebody else's section because they know they're going to get treated bad, and they know they're not going to get tipped. And you're like, Pastor Jay, this ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. Yes, it does. Because you are an ambassador. We are ambassadors of Christ. And it is important for us to protect our witness. And not only that, protect the theology of Pentecost. Somebody asked me when I was really young, and I came up with this really good way of explaining it. Some people ask me, do you have to have the Holy Ghost and with the evidence of speaking in tongues to get to heaven? I said, absolutely not. It's just going to be like digging a china with a spoon. Because it's harder. The Holy Spirit has a purpose beyond just, you know, I'm not going to say that, but it almost, anyway, it doesn't matter. Has a purpose beyond simply speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit was not intended just to give us a spiritual language. It was an empowerment to do what God has called us to do. And so if we do not act accordingly, we give the name of Pentecost a bad rep, and people say, well, that's one of those crazy Pentecostal churches. I'm not going there. Is that true? And so we think about all these crazy things and, I, and, and, and all this. I saw that, that crazy video, and the guy throws his jacket at it, and I think that's a waste of the Spirit. That's a waste of what the whole point of Pentecost is. And so while not everything that's ever been done in spirit-filled services are accurate, a lot of them are. There are some crazy things. But the important thing, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today, is while there are some crazy things that happened, not all of them are wrong. Okay? And so, um, but in order to understand the difference between right right and wrong, and, and honestly, we can't really even judge what's right and wrong because we don't know a person's heart. Is that, is that accurate too? And so, but first we have to understand where worship comes from. Because everything we do on Sunday mornings, it is a form of worship. And today I'm going to be doing more teaching than preaching if the Lord allows me. Worship starts in our heart. Worship is so much more than, than all of these exterior additives. Worship has nothing to do with what I have on the screen. Worship has nothing to do with the songs that we pick. Worship has nothing to do with the amount of lighting or who's here or who's not here. Worship is something that is birthed inside of our hearts. 
And whenever we try to make worship about music or we make worship about our preferences or we make worship about anything else, then we've missed the point because true worship has nothing to do with those things. Simply, did you know simply being here today is an act of worship? Did you know that just saying amen is an act of worship? That simply sitting there and thinking about God and seeking Him, that is an act of worship. We worship corporately, but it's an individual experience. And so whenever we come into a worship service and we say, well, it was a good service or a bad service, depending on what songs we're saying or how I responded to the song, then that's not really worship, and we don't really understand what worship is. Because worship is something that starts in my heart. Now, as God begins to minister to us through our worship, we all respond in different ways. And so I want to talk about that for a little bit. Some of us, we clap our hands. You know, you know it's kind of like, I heard Christina told me this story the other day, and this is kind of why we're going here today. She told me this story about a, a, a woman that was cooking a ham. And she was, she was cooking this ham. She cut the ham in half. And she asked, or her mom cut the ham in half. And so she asked her mom, why did you cut the ham in half? She said, I don't know. That's just the way my mom always did it. So she called her grandmother and said, hey, my mom's cooking her ham. She cut her ham in half. Why? She said, well, I don't know. That's just the way my mom did it. And so she called her great-grandmother, and she said, hey, my mom and, and grandma cut their ham in half before they cook them. Why do they do that? And she said, well, because I had a really small oven and it wouldn't fit. <laughs> I think there are a lot of us, maybe even some of us have been a part of Pentecostal churches for years and years, but we have no idea why we do what we do. And so, and so some of the things we do in, in Pentecostal worship is we clap our hands. So clapping our hands some of you may not even understand this. Some of you just think, I know for me at a time in my life, I thought it was just, okay, we're clapping. This is good. I'm with you. Well, it's actually a celebration of victory. Whenever we clap our hands, the reason that we clap our hands is not just because someone asks us to. It's because we're praising God for, for what he's done for us. We're praising him for the fact that we're saved, for the fact that his blood has covered us, for the fact that he has overcome hell, death, and the grave. We clap our hands to say, yes, Lord, thank you for giving me the victory. Clapping our hands is also a sign of saying, hey, I'm with you. I wish I had my headpiece on today. I, I need to clap right now. Whenever we clap our hands, it's saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm with you. I agree with, with what you're doing right now, God. I'm with you. I'm clapping my hands. I'm agreeing with what you're doing. I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Clapping our hands is a sign of celebration of victory. And so another thing we do that people sometimes don't understand if you grew up in a more conservative background, we lift our hands. I just about spend the whole worship service with my hands lifted. And so why, why do we do that? Well, first of all, lifting your hands, it's a sign of submission. In fact, I said it a while ago, and whenever we first took over as youth pastors, every time we'd go into worship with my kids, I'd say, okay, guys, we're going to lift our hands. And this is a sign of submission to the Father. It's a sign of saying, God, have your way in my life. Have your way in this service right now. In fact, Psalm 134 says this, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So it's not just a good idea, it's something we're told to do. Did you know that? It's not just something that's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe this would be a good idea. No, actually, the Bible says you need to do this. Do this and bless the Lord. Because how many knows, too many of us look at worship like it's for us, but really it's for the Lord. 
when we go into worship, it should be all about him and less about us. Now, in the middle of worship, and we'll talk about this in a minute, God comes in and he ministers to our needs and he ministers to us where we are. But really, the goal of worship isn't to put ourselves and our needs in the spotlight. It's to worship the Lord. And so we clap our hands, we lift our hands, and this one was interesting to me. We wave our hands. Sometimes you'll see me do this right here. Like I'm waving at Jesus or something. Jesus, do you see me? Like, like Stevie Wonder or something. <laughs> Thought of an old George Bush trip. Anyways. But sometimes we just do this, this wave offering. And, I, and, I, and, and for a long time, I didn't even realize that it had any spiritual or biblical references. But actually, if you look up in Leviticus, because everybody reads Leviticus, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I think I've heard of that book before. But anyways, <laughs> Leviticus in chapter 7, the priest, it talks a lot about offerings and stuff. And the priest would take an offering and wildly wave it to God in celebration that man was reconciled to God. So when we wave our hands, we are just simply saying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. Thank you for reconciling me. Thank you. Do y'all see, see a common pattern in some of these things that the Bible tells us to do? has everything to do with thanks, doesn't it? Let's keep going. We, we lift our hands, we clap our hands, we wave our hands, and sometimes we even bow. I remember the first time God put on my heart, he said, Jay, I want you to lay flat on your face. I said, Jesus, all these people don't think I'm crazy. He said, I don't care. I said, and, of course, I didn't, I didn't grow up spirit-filled, and this happened a long time ago. I was like, Jesus... That's going to be embarrassing. He said, well, do you want to please them or do you want to worship me? What if we went into every worship experience like that where we, we ask ourselves, am I here to please people or am I here to seek the Lord? How different would our worship experiences be? And so worship, bowing is universally recognized as an act of devotion and reverence. And, and worship should be all about reverence. We, whenever we enter into worship, this becomes a holy place. It becomes a place where we are literally inviting the God of the universe to feel this atmosphere like we sang a while ago. The God of the universe that, threw all, that, that put all the stars into place, that put all the planets into place, that, that s spoke life into a piece of dirt and mud. We're inviting that same God to come here and rest. You invite your boss into your, especially if you work at a big company, and you invite the president of your company into your room, I'll bet you ask him if you want some coffee. Do you want somewhere to sit? Let me get you the best seat in the house. If, if President Trump or President Obama or President Bush were to come into here, he would come with a motorcade, he would come with security, and we would be doing everything we could to make sure he was as comfortable as possible. But instead, when we come into worship, sometimes we come saying, okay, God, entertain me. Is that true? We come into the house of God, and he's the one that created the universe. He, and we worship. It's so sad that sometimes we worship the created much more than the creator. And so, we, and so worship should be all about reverence. God, I just come into this place. Lord, I, I put your name above everything else. So why are there emotional displays in worship? Anybody ever ask this question? I used to ask this question. Why, is, why, why folks got to act so crazy in worship? Folks roll around on the floor crying, <laughs> they don't take all that. 
I mean, honestly, these are things that I ask. And, in fact, other people, whenever I talk to them that have come to our church or come to different churches, they say, why y'all act so crazy? <laughs> why you crying all the time? Why y'all got all these tears? Why y'all laughing? Why y'all, why y'all jumping? Why do y'all have all these emotional responses? Because, honestly, Pentecost is the only religion that responds to God in that way. We're the only denomination that responds to God with our emotions. And so we, so the first thing we need to understand as far as the emotions go is that we, first of all, it starts off as a choice. A lot of us, we wait on God to show up, and then we will emotionally respond. When in reality, worship is a choice. We choose to come into worship. Every time you see me lifting my hands, it's not because I have Holy Ghost goosebumps. It's because I'm seeking the Lord. Whenever you see me lifting my hands or jumping, or it doesn't mean that I feel God. It doesn't mean that I have those Holy Ghost goosebumps and all those things. It just means that I don't ha- I, maybe I don't have them at that moment, and I want him to invade this atmosphere that I'm creating for him. The scripture that I read as we open service today is God inhabits the praises of his people. So when you see me with my hands lifted and turning circles or jumping up and down, it's not because I necessarily feel it. It's because I want him. And so I think sometimes we sit in these, in these services and we wait for the right song to be sang. And we wait, wait for the right thing to happen. And we're waiting for someone just to go running down the aisles to excite us whenever we should be inviting him. We choose to worship. But worship, it starts as a choice. And then it brings in our emotions. Joel 2.12 says this, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, and that was Joel 2.12 for those of you who may be taking notes, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart, somebody say all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Worship was never meant to be devoid of emotion. Worship was never meant to lack an emotional investment. He says, come to me with fasting and weeping and with mourning. And so that means he's telling me to choose to worship. And when you do, pour it all out. Pour all of your hurt out. Pour all of your doubt out. Pour everything you have out. Because whenever you pour things out of your life and out of your spirit, then you are creating an atmosphere. You are creating a space for the Holy Spirit to come in and fill it. Sometimes we, we, when we fail to worship, we get so clogged up with junk that we get bogged down and we can't experience God's love. Whenever God is saying, come to me with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, pour it all out so I can fill you up again with joy. He's saying, pour it out. Sometimes as God begins dealing with our emotions, we respond loudly. People say, why are, you, why are you so loud in church? Because we build walls. The longer you spend outside of God's presence, the bigger your wall is going to be. The longer that you spend outside of God's presence, not making the choice to worship, even when you don't feel like it, the larger, the taller, the thicker your wall is going to be. Why does it get loud when we worship? Because when, when, when big walls fall, they are loud. 
And whenever we get into worship and there's large walls in our life, what happens is we finally choose to worship and our emotions begin to get invested and God begins to do what only God can do and he begins taking a sledgehammer to those walls that are in our hearts. All that hurt, all that pain, all that disappointment and things begin to fall in our lives and it gets loud and it gets boisterous because our walls are big and it breaks something on the inside of us. Whenever we enter into worship, what I love about that story with the woman that washed Jesus' feet is that there was a clear brokenness in her heart because she had a pure worship. She was clearly broken. It's so funny because we walk around broken and we'd rather stay broken than to let tears out to wash Jesus' feet because he's the only one that can heal us. It's so funny, we'll walk around for years on end mad at people, mad at the world. And all we got to do is go into worship with fasting and weeping and mourning and pour it out. And God will fill you back up. I, I remember this song, so most of you won't know it because it's not a really popular song. But Kim Walker sang this song and said, um, it, may get, uh, it may get wild, the grave is empty, it may get loud. Um. Yeah, that one. The grave is empty now. It may get wild. Your love is like no other. Worship gets crazy when you get a hold of Jesus. Is that true? Worship gets crazy. Your personal worship, I don't mean corporate worship, I mean the spot that you're in, it gets powerful and it gets crazy because whenever you finally connect to him and you let down every wall and you're mourning and you're letting it out, you're throwing down every wall, everything that's hindered you from getting into his presence, it gets crazy because you get filled with a love that has been void in your life, that's been absent in your life. And can I tell you today, maybe you've been walking around grumpy and angry and frustrated and you're mad at your husband and you're mad at your wife and your kids are on your nerves and your job stinks even though you've loved it for 20 years maybe it's because you, there is a void in your life that only can be filled with the presence of God and the only way that the presence of God is going to fill your life is through worship worship is literally us inviting him into our lives and so walls fall Jesus never intended for worship to be devoid of, of emotion. So why do we praise? Why do we praise the Lord all together? That's a question I get asked a lot. Why do we all praise the Lord together in Pentecostal churches? Well, Acts 4.24 says this, and they lifted their voice all together. Also, we know the story of Jericho where they were, they were walking around a city that God has said, it's going to be your city, but you've got to walk around it for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do what? You're going to shout, ah, I wonder what they shouted. Anybody ever wonder? funny whenever 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 God gets hold of me and I'm by myself because again I guess I'm not I'm not there yet either God I say ah not, not exactly like that but I do scream I'm like yeah Lord and anyways I always wonder what they shouted but anyways so we think about why do we all shout together well the the, the people of Jericho they shouted and the walls came down and then we also think or, or the Bible also tells us that um to make a joyful noise before the Lord now when we shout we're celebrating victory that we have in Jesus. This is, like I said earlier, this is going to be kind of repetitive, but we need to understand why we do what we do. 
We need to understand why we lift our hands, why we do a wave offering, why we clap our hands, why we shout, why we bow. Why? Because if we're doing it just to be doing it, then we really don't understand it. And whenever we have a greater level of understanding, then it has a deeper level of intimacy. And so we shout to celebrate the victory we have in him. Why do we shout in the church? Well, the Bible uh, was, a, was uh, the shouting was a sign of victory. And, 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 and when I think about shouting, and I know this is kind of cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, we shout about home runs. We, th- we shout about touchdowns. We shout about three-pointers. We shout about all kind of stuff. But people think we should be quiet in the church. John Gray said it like this. He said, I refuse to shout louder for a team who doesn't know me than for a God who saved me. That's good. I'm going to say that again. One more again. I refuse to shout louder for a team who doesn't know me than for the God who saved me. And so my question for you today is how much do you shout at your kids' ball games versus how much do you shout for the Lord? How much do you clap at your kids' ball games or your family's ball games or your favorite team ball games versus how much you clap in the church house or clap at home when you're worshiping on your own? Why do we say amen to the preacher? Because I preach good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, amen actually means so be it or, or truly. So when we say amen in the church, it's to agree or to support what's being said. Uh, why do why does some dance before the Lord? Now, I'm not going to lie. Dancing scares me. <laughs> And let me, tell you, let me tell you why. There are two things that scare me at Pentecostal services. One of them I have a good reason for. Because Miss Eloise Upton, who passed away last year, she was a dear woman. But when I first started coming to church here, I sat pretty much right across from Brother Dennis right here in the middle section when I first started coming. And uh, when I first came here, y'all had flags. Now you're talking about little flags like USA 4th of July. I mean like big flags. And I'm glad they're gone. I'm just... <laughs> I should be easy with that because some of y'all might get mad at me. But I got a reason. Let me tell you my reason. I was sitting over here. I was worshiping Jesus. We were singing a song. Uh, I don't even remember what song it was. I think I do, but I don't remember it. But anyways, uh, and, and I was all into it. And I had my eyes closed because you can't worship Jesus if you got your eyes open. I'm just kidding. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jesus. And, I, and literally I said, pop. <laughs> I was like, dang, was that the Lord? Was I doing something wrong? And I look in front of me. It's Eloise Upton. And she ain't missed a beat. She's still waving that flag. And I was like, did she hit me with that flag? And as soon as I thought that, that flag came right back in my head. I said, you will never see flags in here unless the Lord tells me. I am scarred. That's why it ain't even on the list. I just brought that in here. <laughs> why don't you have flags in the church? That's why. So why do we, why do we dance in the church? Dancing scares me because folks get crazy. They just close. They really do. I, I think it should be a Holy Ghost rule. Keep your eyes open if you start dancing in the Lord. I'm a big old dude, and I get ran over. I go down to camp meeting, and people be running into me. I feel like we're playing a spiritual bumper cars or something. But it is biblical. It is biblical. 154 says, Psalm 150 verse 4 says this, that dance is actually an act of praise. That whenever people do dance before the Lord, as long as it's in order, and that's the key to everything, is Paul said, Paul taught order, and we'll, we'll talk about that another day. But all of these things are good as long as they are done in order. Dance is a celebration of victory. Dancing is not for show, though. Dancing is not for show. I know I, I used to watch these comedy specials, B.C., before Christ, and they would kind of make funny, fun of churches because women would be having dance-offs in front of the church uh, trying to see who was the better dancer on Sundays. And that's not what dancing is for. It's not for a show. It's literally to celebrate God. 
dancing is simply another way to celebrate God. And, and in fact, in here, the other side of that is sometimes we are hindered, our worship is hindered because we're afraid of what you're thinking of us. Anybody ever, and you don't have to answer this, but maybe you didn't worship like you wanted to because you felt somebody was going to look at you. And not only were they going to look at you, they're going to judge you thinking you were either putting on a show or look at them. They just think they're so holy because they got their hands lifted. I can lift my hands if I wanted to. Seriously, I mean, people, and, and even though that may not be true at all, in fact, I think most of the time it's not true because what I've learned about life is people don't think about us half as much as we think they do. And so, but we feel like they do. So actually, what some of y'all have asked, you know, why do we lower the lights? Well, because it feels more intimate. It, it, for some reason, psychologically, when the lights are a little bit lower, we just feel like we're alone with Jesus. And these are, and this isn't my opinion. This is what I've heard from other people. They just feel like it's a more intimate atmosphere. And so we actually lower the lights so it feels like it's just us and Jesus, and we don't feel like people are just looking at us. And so lastly, before we get into the rest of this, is why do we allow speaking in tongues in the church? Well, this is a whole other sermon, but I had to touch on it because we're talking about Pentecost. Tongues, and most of us know this, tongues is, a spe- is speaking in another language by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Pentecostal church that the Holy Spirit baptism, the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. We believe that there's a spiritual language, and we also believe that there, we also call it a prayer language. We also believe that whenever you speak in tongues, God can allow you, can give you a language that is actually existent in the earth for a purpose. In fact, I've heard stories of revivals overseas where a person would begin to speak in tongues and spoke the exact language language of the people they were ministering to. And so we believe in the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues in this church. Um, tongues is, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's fullness in a believer's life. And we believe that the Bible encourages us to use the gift of tongues. But it's important to note that tongues is not a destination, it's simply a tool. But we've already talked about that. So, so with all that going on in a service, what's the point of worship? Why is my worship experience so important? Well, I think in order to answer that question, we have to understand there's a difference between simply singing along and worshiping. There's a difference between simply singing along with the team or singing along with the worship team and actually entering into worship. Just singing is not going to be life-changing. Just singing a song. <laughs> I'm about to, y'all going to have to just endure this. Y'all just get ready. One, two, three. How great is our God. That's not, that's not really me trying because that would be even worse. But if I just sing without emotion, void, and I'm just going through the motions, that's not life-changing because I'm not invested. God, the Holy Spirit, he, you know what? He's a gentleman, and he's not going to force, force his way into our worship. And I don't mean corporately. I mean individually. Whenever you see corporate worship services that look so anointed and look so powerful, it's, be, it's not because they had a great team. It's not because they had a great band, although I'm sure all those things are true. It's because individually people wanted to experience God's presence. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself into our worship. Worship has the ability to be life-changing if we engage. Somebody say if. If we engage. True worship is just simply laying it out. True worship looks like, you know, I'm just laying it out there, Jesus. Because that's what the lady who cleaned his feet did. She knew she was dirty. She knew she was going to get talked about. She knew that she wouldn't be accepted, but she just said, I need him more than I need their approval. I need him 
more than anything else. That's what worship is. We try to complicate it. We try to make worship, and we try to make church so hard, when in reality, worship is just simply focusing on Him. Focusing and saying, God, I just, I just need you. I just need you. I put everything else aside. Worship is so, so much easier than we try to make it. Worship. But here's the thing, and this is where we try to complicate it. Worship has nothing to do with exterior attitudes. I've said this in a different, a couple different ways today, but I want you to get it. If you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. Worship has nothing to do with the song that you that we're singing. Worship has nothing to do with how good they're playing. Danielle may, and I'm not saying you do. I'm not going to say it at all now because I have made it awkward. But <laughs> the worship service may not even be good. Has nothing to do with your ability to worship. The worship team may have done the worst job in the history of all worship services. But if you didn't experience God, that's not their fault. That might be on you. Because worship has nothing to do with, worship includes music in some facet, but it starts in your heart. Worship is simple unless we complicate it. And so today, I'm pretty sure I'm getting close to being out of time. I am. It's really funny. I'm going to get ready to close with this. So, Miss Karen, will you come play for me, please? Worship takes me out of the out of the spotlight. It takes my issues out of the spotlight because it's funny how when it comes to Christianity, we try to make make secondary things the most important thing. Because worship, and the, the most important thing about worship is worshiping God. But it's funny how what it has become, because we live in such a consumer-driven society, is it's not how can I bless the Lord, it's how can the Lord bless me. And if the Lord didn't touch me, then he must not have been there that day. True worship, it takes the spotlight off of me and my issues, and it places it on him. Whenever, you, whenever we worship in spirit and in truth, I'm not the main character in that story. I may be a subplot character somewhere. Because true worship, it places the focus on God. And what's funny is in that moment, and I've seen it so many times here in altars, whenever we begin to worship and God becomes the focal point of our worship, it's so funny because he'll begin putting people on your heart in that moment to pray for. In that moment of worship, whenever you have totally placed your focus on him, it's funny because a lot of times instead of just working on your issues, he'll say, hey, now that you're listening to me, I want you to go and I want you to be a blessing to this brother or this sister over here. But so many times we come to church, and whenever and I say it, I say, hey guys, come expecting. But I ask you, what are you expecting? 
Are you expecting a drive-through? Are you expecting to drive through the church house, get a prayer, get a blessing, and head out to lunch? I didn't get to say it, but another part of my sermon is, I actually asked the question is, if God never did another thing for you except save you and give you his presence, would that be enough? I think it would be hard because I think we treat God like a vending machine. We go to him and we think we press the right buttons, we play the right songs, we pray the right prayer. He'll give us what we need and we go away until we need something else. Is he concerned with our needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, if, he, if, God, if the Father feeds the birds in the air, make sure the lilies are taken care of. Certainly, he cares about your needs. But in Matthew, the Bible also says that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added to you. So what that tells me is that in my life, my number one priority should be seeking him, and then all of my needs, they'll be taken care of. As we close today, and I thought it was the best way to start Pentecost, this Pentecost series, talking about worship, talking about inviting God into our church and into our individual areas. And as I was studying for this series, for this message specifically, God reminded me of something as I was getting into Acts 2. He brought me back to Genesis. Anybody can guess what chapter? Two. Deuce. Dos. Genesis 2. Anybody know what happened in Genesis 2? You can't answer. You know the answer. I told you this already. I always test my script, my, my, my preaching out on her. And Josh sometimes hears it through the window because he's my neighbor. Don't ever tell me the next day, hey, you preached better Saturday than you did Sunday. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I don't want to know. Genesis chapter 2. Is whenever the story is told of how God created man. And they're saying, you're like, what does that have to do with this? Something very important. God got a bunch of mud, got a bunch of dirt. Heard one preacher say, raw dirt bags, because that's what we're made of. Got a bunch of dirt, put it together. And the Bible says he breathed life. Somebody say life. He breathed life into that mound of dirt that breath it was the Holy Spirit pneuma is the Greek or is the Aramaic word breathe life into man he began to fellowship with God shortly thereafter got a crazy woman in his life got sin in his life <laughs> just kidding it's just as much his fault as it was hers the breath was taken from him because sin entered into his life in Acts chapter 2 Fellowship with God was broken. Acts chapter 2. After the reconciliation of man and God, between man and God. It's ironic that it's Genesis 2 and Acts 2 because in Genesis 2, the Spirit of God that had been taken from man, that had been knocked out of man, was given back to him. The same word, Numa, was used in Acts 2. The Spirit of God again filled the daughters and sons of God in what we know as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that have to do with worship? Sometimes we don't know, we can't worship because we've had the breath knocked out of us. 
sometimes we it's so hard for us to really enter into the presence of God because something has happened to us and it has literally knocked the breath out of us. It feels like we can't spiritually breathe. It feels like we can't think, we can't pray, we can't worship, and we feel debilitated, we feel disabled when it comes to worship because we are so hurt. I, st- I start talking about clapping my hands and, uh, and lifting hands and bowing and all those things, and all you hear is work. Or maybe it's been so long and you've been so frustrated that at this point, when you see people doing that, maybe it even frustrates you because it's not happening in your life, and you're like, well, they're just putting on a show. My question for you today is what has knocked the breath out of you and out of your worship? And my encouragement for you today is you don't have to stay there. Genesis 2, breath was knocked out of man. But in Acts 2, because we were reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus, we were again filled with His breath with His Spirit, with His, with his empowerment. Okay, so that tells me something very important. I may have the breath knocked out of me, but God can still refill me. I may be out of breath right now, and I may be tired, and I may be hurting, but this is not the end of my story. This is not the end of my worship. This is not the end of my salvation. This is not the end. And today, somebody is in here today, and that's where you are. I was praying last night, and I was praying in my kitchen. I said, God, is this for anybody? He said, Jay, there's going to be people there tomorrow. They've had the breath knocked out of them. They've been disappointed. They have been knocked down. And they need to be reminded that my spirit and my will and my presence is the same as it's always been, and it's accessible as it has always been. So with everybody standing, every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, I want an opportunity to pray with you. This morning, if that's you and you feel like the breath has literally been knocked out of you. You feel like your worship hits the ceiling. You feel like your heart is hard. If you if you have the gift of tongues right now, I want you to start praying in your prayer language right now. If that's you this morning, and you need me to pray with you because you don't want to stay where you are. There, there are things that have hurt you. And you want your worship back. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? God sees those hands. God sees those hands. God sees those hands. Right now, if that's you, go ahead and meet me down here at the altar. Right now. I'm not going to count. This is, this is between you and Jesus. If that's you, come meet me down here at the altar. We're going to pray for you right now. If I can get some prayer warriors to come pray with me. More than this, raise their hand. You want your worship back. It's going to cost you some things. One thing I didn't get to say today is worship calls us to lay down our pride. 
We're trying to look good for people when we should be trying to seek after Jesus. People are going to help you into heaven. People are going to carry you across the gates. The Holy Spirit and His salvation and His presence is. If I can get a couple of Christina, come on, help me pray. I'll give you just one more second. Lord, right now, before we lay hands on these right here, God, I pray for those that are out there in the audience in the congregation. And this is where they are, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict right now, that it would bring them in. Father, that those that have had the breath knocked out of them, Lord God, that you'd minister, Lord.